out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. I'm your host, David Vignola. This is episode number 42. And this week, I'm going to answer the top five questions that I get asked about mixing all the time. I get the same questions over and over and over again. And I'm going to try to cover those topics in this episode. So I'm going to tell you about the five things that I get asked about all the time and give you some answers. So when I get asked about these questions in the future, I can just refer everybody back to this podcast episode. So that's what we're going to talk about. So please like, share, subscribe, leave comments below if you're listening and watching this on YouTube as well. And also give me some five-star reviews. That really helps me. So now let's talk about the five questions that you guys send me all the time via email right here at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Well, well, welcome back everyone to yet another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is episode 42 and this week we're going to talk about the five questions that I get asked on a continual basis all the time from different students and different email uh, emails that come in, different comments on the YouTube channel, questions via Facebook. I get asked the same kind of questions quite a bit. And the reason for that is there's a lot of new people every single day discovering Home Recording Made Easy, whether it's through the Facebook page that we have, whether it's through my YouTube channel, or whether it's just through signing up and getting my free mixing course on the website, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. And so there's a lot of new visitors who haven't heard me answer these questions before. And so they're asking questions and it's they're all really great questions. And so I'm going to answer them here today. And then when people uh, send me emails in the future asking me about these questions, I'm going to refer them to this podcast episode because it will hopefully greatly help them. So let's talk about that. And again, stick around to the end of the podcast, especially for all my first time listeners, because I'm going to give you a couple of free gifts. So question number one, how loud should my mix be at the end of mixing to send to mastering? I get that a lot. So people are learning mixing, taking mixing courses, some of them mine, seeing some of the things I've done on YouTube and others that do on YouTube. And there's some confusion about, well, how loud should the mix be when I'm done? If I'm going to send it off to a mastering engineer and have it mastered. And although in the digital domain, I mean, really the technical answer is in the digital world, you could come as close as you want to zero dB. And as long as you're not clipping, you'll be fine. But that's not a really great practice because um, you want to, I would want to be more conservative, but that's really technically, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're not clipping in the digital world, you can be as close as you want to zero, but that's not what I tell people. What I tell people is at the end of your mix, you should be running an RMS or continual volume level of around negative 10, negative 12, peaking around the negative six, negative five. Okay. Again, those are guidelines. It can be off a dB or two. Either way, really doesn't matter. But the way I always practice, in the way I mix, in the way I send my mastering engineer engineer a mix, if I'm not mastering the track myself, I always end the mix at right around negative six peaking. And that'll give the mastering engineer or the mastering phase plenty of headroom to turn it up, use a limiter, bring it up to commercial volume levels. If they're going to do some EQing, especially some boosting, some gentle boosting on the top end that will over that will raise the overall volume a little bit as well. So if you stick with that, negative six peaking, peaking at the loudest part of the song, the third chorus of the song where, where all the instrumentation is playing, where the song is at its biggest, if you will, negative six, or if you want to look at it from an RMS level, 
on the master fader, you can say negative 10, negative 12 continuous, peaking around a negative six. And if you do that, you'll be just fine at the mastering stage. Again, it doesn't have to be an exact science, but that's a really good guideline. And when I do that, I never have a problem sending something off to a mastering engineer where they say, it's too hot, I can't work with it. But the technical answer is, in the digital domain, as long as you're not clipping, you can be almost as loud as you want. But again, leave the engineer, the mastering process and headroom. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a good practice. Okay, so that's question number one. Question number two that I get an awful lot is, is it okay to mix on headphones? Or do I really need to mix on studio monitors? And we've talked about this topic before in different podcasts as it pertains to gear and budgets and those kinds of things. But the short answer is, of course, it's okay to mix on headphones. I mix on headphones all the time. Any one of the training courses that you purchase from me, any of the mixing courses where we mix the song together from start to finish, you see me on camera wearing headphones. Lots of people mix on headphones. Lots of people are traveling a lot and they mix today on a laptop with a pair of headphones. So of course you can mix on headphones. You don't need to use speakers. And here's what I would tell you about mixing on headphones. And by the way, I have a video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash home recording made easy, where the tiger, I think it was the top 10 pros or the top 10 benefits to mixing on headphones. Go watch that video. I'll cover a couple of those items here today. So there's a couple of things you want to talk about when we talk about your monitoring system. If you're going to mix on a pair of speakers, you are far better off. Let me just say this. You are far better off mixing on a good set of quality headphones in the four to five, four to six, four to $700 price range than mixing on a set of studio monitors at three to $400 a pair. Okay. For three to 400 or three to 500 or three to $600 a pair of studio monitors, you are not going to get a good quality monitor that is ideal for critical listening and for mixing music. Yes, it's good for all-purpose listening. It's maybe good as a secondary pair of speakers to check your mixes on a lower-quality pair of speakers. But ultimately, when you want to do critical listening and you want to mix, you want to mix on a good set of monitors, and we've talked about that before. And also, you then also have to consider the room acoustic treatment. And because a lot of folks don't have the budget to spend $1,000 plus minimum for a pair of speakers, and that's my recommendation and then also several hundreds of dollars of good acoustic treatment, they wanna know if it's okay to mix on headphones. And it is, yes, just make sure you get yourself a set of headphones that is really good for mixing. You know, Dr. Dre Beats is not one of them. Nothing against Dr. Dre, I love Dr. Dre. But those kinds of headphones are not good for mixing. They're good for listening for music for pleasure. They got a lot of low end in them, but they're not really great for mixing. Okay to check your mixes on those headphones, but to do the majority of your mixing, you want to set a good, a good set of mixing headphones. You could go to sweetwater.com and check out some stuff there. The link will be in the show notes below. But a couple that I recommend is I use the Sennheiser HD 650s and HD 700s for years. Those are wonderful open back uh, mixing headphones that your mixes will translate very well on those. Today, currently, and I've been using for probably the last maybe almost a year, I have the Neumann headphones. I always forget the model number. I want to say it's the ND521s or ND. 52s or something like that. It's the only Neumann headphones that Sweetwater sells. They're 600 bucks. They're perfect. Closed back headphones. The low end is nice and accurate. It's not hyped in the mid-range or on the top end. Great for mixing. And there are others. Focal makes some good mixing headphones as well. They can get a little pricey. 
but the answer to your question is yes, it is good. It's always preferable to mix on, you know, say headphones and then check your mixes on secondary sets of speakers, on earbuds, on different types of headphones. If you can check your mixes on as many different sources as you can, you'll be okay. But the primary amount of time, the majority of time, if you're mixing on headphones, it is totally okay. Just make sure that you get a good set of quality headphones. Plan on spending between four and say $700. You could spend more, but four to 700 will get you a really good set of mixing headphones. And the other thing about mixing headphones, oh, mixing on headphones, is when you are mixing, just make sure that you're mixing at a low volume, that you're not blasting your ears out and getting ear fatigue. We've talked about that in other podcasts. And also with headphones too, much like studio speakers, when you first get them, there is a break-in period and every manufacturer will recommend a different amount of time. What I used to do when I get a new pair of headphones is I would run them all night long. I'd put uh, something on my uh, iTunes or or some, I'd import some, uh, some, some stereo wave files into my DAW and put it on a loop and let it run you know, 24 hours straight, you know, plug in my headphones, turn it up to a moderate level and let the drivers break in. <clears throat> but the manufacturer's recommendations is always a good way to start. And that's what I would say that you should do. So mixing on headphones is okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. Question number three. <laughs> here's, <laughs> here's one that no matter how many times I answer it, I still get asked this question. What are the, and this is really the question. I mean, it's really, I'm, I'm paraphrasing yes, but this is basically what a lot of people ask me. This something this simple or this simple, this simplistic of a question. What are the best third party plugins to buy? And how I answer that question, it's nearly impossible. I mean, when someone asks that question, they clearly are a beginner. And then again, I'm not saying that in a negative way. They clearly are someone new to this world and they really don't understand the plugins or what they're doing. And they, they see a bunch of stuff on YouTube and on my channel included. And they want to know, well, what's the best ones to buy? Sometimes it's a little more detailed or a little more specific. They'll say, what's the best third party plugins for vocals? I mean... Again, someone who really doesn't understand it, understand the concept. So here's what I tell people. Look, third-party plugins are wonderful. I have tons of them. You see them on my channel all the time. I'm a plug-in junkie just like the next person. But if you're asking me a question that way and you are, that means you're probably new to this game. Totally fine. We were all new once. Don't feel bad about that. The best third-party plugin to buy in that particular case is none. Don't buy any. You have every plugin you need in your DAW, regardless of which one you use. You can use your stock plugins to learn how to use those plugins before you go out and buy third-party plugins. I've made that statement. We have, what, 42? This is the 42nd episode of this podcast, and I'll bet you, in, I don't know, 35 of the episodes I've made that statement. <laughs> Somewhere in the episode, depending on the, what the question or the topic we were speaking about. Learn how to use your stock EQ and compressor, and some DAWs now come with multiple different types of EQs and compressors, some that emulate the old analog hardware like third-party plugins. Studio One does that. Logic does that. Pro Tools does that on some level. I don't know if Reaper does that. Not really sure. But anyhow, um, Cubase does that too. <clears throat> you have all the plugins you need. The question that you should be asking is, how do I learn how to use EQ and compression effectively? Okay. Because those are the two most important tools in mixing when it comes to plugins is EQ and compression. Yes, there are others, of course. But those are the two basic fundamentals. You need to learn about EQ, compression, panning, balance. <clears throat> you get those things down, 
you'll be ready to ask the question, well, what third-party plugin should I look at? Okay, because it doesn't matter what plugins you use, it's how you use them. Okay, there are subtle differences and subtle improvements that will be made from using different types of plugins. My whole YouTube channel is based around that topic. But in the beginning stages, you shouldn't be buying third-party plugins until you understand the basics of EQ compression, balance, levels, and panning. Okay? And I have courses on how to help you do that. You know that. Go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Check out EQ and Compression Made Easy. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, you'll be able to get those at a heavily discounted price. Okay? So that question I get all the time. So for the future people that get sent the link to this podcast episode who asked me that question... Don't buy any third-party plugins until you really have a good handle on how to use your stock plugins to get yourself a solid mix that sounds balanced with clarity and professional. Once you get to that point and you want something different, new, to try out some different things, then ask me the question about third-party plugins. And don't ask, and by the time you get to that point, you won't ask me the question, what's the best third-party, what's the best EQ for vocals? Because when you ask the question that way, the answer is there is no best. It depends on a, a bunch of different variables. Is it a male vocalist? Is it a female vocalist? How was, how was it recorded? What style of music? Do they have a high voice or a low, chesty, warm voice. What kind of microphone was used? How was the track recorded? How does it sound in its rawest form? That all will dictate what type of EQ or what plugin I will use and or what plugin compressor I would use. What are the other instrumentation around that vocal in that song? What's going on with that? How does it all blend together? Those are all the decisions to be made. And this is where you get more into the intermediate, you know, topics of mixing, which we talk about all the time on this channel, this podcast, and over at the YouTube channel and in all my different courses. So once you get to that level, then we can discuss that. But by the time you get to that level, you wouldn't ask the question in that more in that more general sense because you would understand that, oh, there really is no best. It depends on everything that Dave just said. <clears throat> okay, so for now, don't buy any third-party plugins. Learn how to use the stock plugins. I know that's not what everybody wants to hear. They want to go out and buy something shiny and new. But if you have a, a hole burning in your pocket and you're looking to spend some money in your studio, I have lots of other podcast episodes that can have you to could, uh, help you spend that money in the most effective way to give you the most bang for buck in your studio. What other upgrades that you could make in your studio with that money instead of buying a plugin that you really don't need? Okay, that's third question I get all the time. Here's the next question. Question number four. We get all the time. We've talked about this before along the same lines about what's the best plugins to buy. What's the best DAW for mixing? <clears throat> That's usually what I get. It's usually for mixing, although DAW in general. And again, just like I've said before with plugins, there really is no best. I use all the major DAWs on some level. Studio One, Logic, Ableton, Pro Tools, Cubase. Universal Audio Luna. Now, I will say that when someone says to me, what is the best DAW? And they say, I'm just, usually when they ask that question, it's because I know they're just starting out. But usually the question will start with, hi, Dave, I'm just kind of starting out or I'm just getting back into music or, you know, I'm an older guy or an older gal in my retirement years. And I used to work in, I used to record in big studios in the 70s and 80s. And now I'm getting into computer recording for the first time. What is your recommendation for the best DAW? And what I will say 
that the best DAW I feel for beginners and the one that has the, 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 the shortest learning curve and is the easiest to understand and the most intuitive from a workflow point of view, in my opinion, is Studio One by PreSonus. And then I would recommend that. So when someone asks me that question and they're just looking for a recommendation, I would say Studio One if you're new because it's easy to learn. It's got a lot of support, a lot of online support. It's stable. And it's, I feel, the easiest one to learn for a beginner. Again, once you get beyond that, is there really a difference between Studio One and Cubase and Pro Tools and Ableton and, and Reaper and Logic? And, you know, is there really that much of a difference? Well, they're all not really. They all do the same thing. They all do things in a slightly different way. And it really comes down to a workflow thing is really what it comes down to, at least in my opinion. Um, and I've used them all. The only, the only one that I feel that has had in the past major stability issues, at least on, on all the computers I've ever used, Mac and PC, is Pro Tools. But I've also done some, um, after 10 years of being away from Pro Tools, last year in year 2020, I did a video series on YouTube about, you know, how does Pro, does Pro Tools still suck 10 years later was the name of the videos, part one, two, three, four, five where I actually mixed the song in Pro Tools to see, has it gotten any better? And it actually has. I didn't have all the stability issues that I did way back in the day. Um, but other than Pro Tools, I've never had a problem with stability issues with Cubase or Studio One or Ableton Live or Logic Pro, never. Or Universal Audio Luna, which is the new kid on the block. So from that point of view, they're all great. It really comes down to workflow, what you like, what you feel most comfortable in. And again, if you're a beginner, I would say, which one of those has the most resources for you to learn from and or if you need help? And then again, in that case, I would say Studio One, hands down, full stop, end of sentence. That's what I would say. And, I, and I've been saying that now for years and I still believe in that. Although, and it is the DAW that I use most of the time, but you've seen on my YouTube channel, especially over the last year, I do change it up and I will use Universal Audio Luna and I will use... Uh, you know, Apple Logic, and I will use uh, Cubase from time to time just to change it up, just to show people different things and have fun with it. And all those DAWs are great as well. But the best DAW for mixing is the one you feel most comfortable with. And if you're new, I would say PreSonus Studio One, and that goes the same for recording. Okay, that's my opinion. And that's what I would advise you to do. Question number five, why does my, uh, excuse me, why does my mix sound different in my car than in my studio? We've talked about this before. <clears throat> Pardon me. Get a sip of water here. <sighs> okay. Why does the mix sound different in the car than it did in your studio when you were mixing it? It has all to do with, and that's called, why does my mix not translate? And again, I think there's a podcast episode about that topic, and I think there's a YouTube video about that topic. Search that out, you will find it. But basically what that means is it doesn't translate from the studio to the car, from the studio to the, to the computer speakers, to the studio, to my headphones, or your earbuds. Why is that? That has everything to do with really two things. First and foremost, the mixing environment that you're using is not properly acoustically treated and therefore and or coupled with that, the type of monitoring system that you have. Again, we talked a little bit about speaker speaker quality a, a little bit ago and the placement of those speakers in the room. So the judgments that you are making while you're mixing with EQ in particular, especially the low end, because that's usually the low and the low mids is where normally the problem lies 
when it sounds great and perfect in your studio, you take it out to the car and one of two things typically happen. Either the bass is way too heavy in the car or it's way too light in the car. It's not balanced like maybe it was in your studio. That's because you have um, what, you know, you have uh, acoustic issues in your room and the bass frequencies are bouncing around the room. They're not being absorbed by bass traps in the room and they're canceling each other out. And what you are hearing is not accurate. Without getting technical mumbo jumbo here, all it really means is what you are listening to and the way you're making your mixing judgments and your EQ judgments is that you're doing it based on a lie. The speakers are lying to you. The room is lying to you. It's telling you the music sounds one way and you're making adjustments in your mix and it really sounds something else. That's why in almost every single podcast episode, we talk about acoustic treatment and speaker placement in the room. And then we talk about the quality of the speakers, the quality of your audio interface and your converters. Because all of that matters. The converters and the quality of the interface, when you talk about the sound coming out of the speakers, less. I understand that for my more seasoned uh, listeners here that say that really doesn't make that much of a difference. I get it. It makes a small difference. But the quality of the speakers do. And, I, and that does not mean, again, I will say it again, like I've said before, because sometimes people don't read, they don't listen or they don't whatever. So... <laughs> It doesn't mean that you can't do decent mixing on cheap speakers. You can. If you can understand the speakers and how they translate outside of the studio, you can get by with that, but it's much more difficult. It is hard to do critical listening and to have studio monitors that have a flat response so you can make good EQ judgments, especially EQ and compression, but EQ, right, to where the mix translates. That's why I always say if you're going to mix on studio monitors in your room, you got to have good acoustic treatment, good speaker placement, and I would say spend at least $1,000 a pair for powered monitors, 500 bucks a speaker, at least. And what brand you get really doesn't matter. Any major brand. Their speakers are a very personal preference thing, and I get that. And I also say again that when you buy speakers, buy them from a place that you can return them when you put them in your studio if you don't like the way they sound. Because when you go listen to them in a store... In that environment, the speaker's going to sound different to you than in your personal mixing space. So that's why I say buy them from a place that you can try them out and return them if you're not happy. Sweetwater is one place and the link's in the description box below, but you can buy them anywhere. I don't care if you buy them from Vintage King, from Guitar Center, from Sam Ash. It doesn't matter. Musicians Friends, American Music Supply, Z Sounds, they're all great. Sweetwater is the best in my opinion. But it doesn't matter where you buy them. All those places will have a return policy or at least check the return policy. Hes I would hesitate to tell you to buy speakers used on Reverb and eBay. Because number one, you don't know how that person treated their speakers. Did they beat the daylights out of them? Were they in a temperature controlled environment? What is the physical condition of the speaker and the driver and the tweeter in particular? if they were abused or not. And two, when you buy them and put them in your space and you're not happy with the way they sound, the only you could do is try to flip them and resell them. You can't return them. So that's what I would tell you to do. Your monitoring is the one of the most important things in your setup because that, what again, it's just common sense, right? Every decision that you make in a mix has to do with what you're hearing coming out of those speakers. And if you have a great pair of speakers, in a well-treated room, you are going to have accurate mixing decisions, and therefore your mix is going to sound much more close in the car than then it does in as it does in the studio. It will. It's an absolute fact. 
And I know there's people out there and there's different podcasts and different YouTube channels that'll tell you, you don't need to do that. You can buy the $150 pair of speakers that have four inch drivers in them and you can do mixing on those. Professionals use those. No, they do not. Professionals use those as maybe a secondary or a third pair of speakers to check them on what they would call lovingly and no offense to the speaker manufacturer, a set of crap speakers because they know that most consumer people that listen to music will consume music on crappy speakers, on earbuds and those kinds of things. So they use them as a reference. That is true. And I recommend that as well. But you're, but where you're doing most of your critical listening, you want to use as good of a pair of speakers as you can get. So don't go out and buy plugins first, buy good monitors, right? If you have to, so spend the money on the monitors. And again, you don't have to spend tens of thousands. You can, but I tell people, I say, well, what do you use? And I, I've talked about this before, but just for new people that are listening for the first time, you can say, well, Dave, what do you use? How much do they cost? What's the baseline? Okay. So I use a set of Focal Solo B6s. They have a six inch driver with a one inch beryllium tweeter. I think these, when I bought them and I've been using them 10 years, they were about $1,400 a speaker. So $2,800 a pair. That would be considered a mid-tiered price speaker. There are speakers that I would love to test out and own that are far more expensive. And there are lots of speakers that are a lot less expensive. But I've been mixing on those for a long time and I get great results. I also have a well-treated acoustic room. I have videos on the YouTube channel that show you that. Again, didn't, I bought all my acoustic treatment. I didn't build it, but it didn't cost me thousands of dollars. It cost me hundreds of dollars, okay? And I put those speakers in the right place with good acoustic treatment, and I could take this, I could, and I have other speakers I check my mixes on, but I can mix solely on the Focals, take them out to any other sound system, and that mix will translate. That's why I like them so much because I'm used to the way they sound and I know when a mix is done and I send it off to a client or wherever I'm going to go listen to that music, it is going to sound right. And that's why I like it. Now, recently I've added also the Focal subwoofer that's paired up with these, but I didn't have that for years. Now the sub itself, I'll admit, it's about 15, 1600 bucks. The sub itself is expensive. It's an 11 inch subwoofer. I just recently added that about a year ago and I love that I did that. It, ma it makes the mixing process even easier for me because I can really hear the low end when you set up the subwoofer properly. Um, but you don't need that. Don't get yourself a crappy pair of speakers with a $200 subwoofer. Ditch the subwoofer and get yourself a good set of near fields. Okay, so that's just the baseline, kind of tell you what I have so you kind of know. But again, there's lots of great speaker manufacturers out there. Um, there's, you know, stick with the name brands. If you stick with the name brands, you can't go wrong, right? Focal, Mackie, JBL, Genelec, Adams. Oh, I know there's others and I'm not trying to leave anybody out, but I mean, those are main ones, but you can, you can search, you know, again, go to Sweetwater and just search studio monitors and you're going to see a whole plethora of them, but stay away from the real low end entry level stuff. If you can if you're going to do critical listening and try to do mixing, if you're just buying them for recording, something to listen back on as you record and for music listening pleasure, then yes, it doesn't matter as much. It really doesn't. But for mixing, it does. So that's my uh, that is why your mix sounds different in the car, because you're being lied to by the speakers in the room that you're sitting in. That's why. 
Okay, so I hope that answers your question. I hope that gives you some food for thought. So those are my five top questions that I get asked about all the time as it pertains to mixing. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode in its entirety. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, I want to give you a couple of free things here. So if this is your first time here, I want you to head out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And I want to give you a $50 free mixing course. We're talking about mixing this week here on the podcast. 50 bucks, free of charge. It's right on the homepage. You can't miss it. Big orange button. Download the course, right? It's my gift to you just for visiting homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And once you go through that course, if you really, if I resonate with you as an instructor and you dig my teaching style and you'd like to try one of my other paid training courses, okay, we talked about earlier, EQ and compression and all of that. I have courses on that, EQ Made Easy, Compression Made Easy, perfect for beginners and intermediates. Okay, check out those courses today and I wanna give you a discount. If you pick up any one of those courses on my website, you can use the coupon code PODCAST30, that is PODCAST30, that will take 30% off. Any course on the website, just use that at checkout. And until next week's episode, I've been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com and thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode and I will see you guys next week. Take care, everybody.